Good to be here with you guys this morning. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews. If you'll find that here this morning, we're going to be looking from God's written voice in the book of Hebrews. And you say, where is the book of Hebrews? You get to all the 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, then you'll find that book of Hebrews, book of James. If you get into the Peters and near Revelation, you've gone too far. But it is excellent to be with you guys. We've enjoyed our time. Is Georgia always this pleasant weather-wise? This has been excellent. Just the cool mornings, isn't that Georgia? Is that correct? 12 months a year, is that right? No. Okay, yes. (laughs) Well, very good. Hey, so last week, what an amazing weekend, Easter. We get to celebrate our risen Savior Easter is a highlight, obviously, for all the churches all throughout the world. We understand that some are celebrating our Savior's risen life here on this weekend. I think back on Friday, Good Friday, when Jesus put himself on a cross and bore our sins. What an amazing, amazing, the payment, guys, do you understand? Christ paying for our sins. And then on Sunday, that resurrection, the penalty of our sins being lifted the moment he was raised. 1 Corinthians 15, what a tribute to that truth. So that was pretty awesome to hear that you guys have been in that passage. And so it's been a week now. It's been seven days since our celebration, probably the biggest celebration that we have as a church family. And it's been seven days. And can I tell you, in seven days, the distraction away from why we're the church Who we are, the mission, our purpose, it can begin to happen just seven days. I'm amazed how quickly life just picks up and starts going. Distraction, I've learned, is not good. Uh, I can remember back when I was a young man, 1995, our church, we just built a building, and we were so excited to have a building, and we needed lettering. So my eyes were looking at all the lettering on all the buildings, and I stopped paying attention to the, the Uh, the purpose of a vehicle is to transport me. And I had the opportunity of meeting the car in front of me very quickly. And when I got my ticket and my sad heart, it said right there on it, it said, distracted driver. And I said, boy, that is the truth. I was watching everything else except what I should have been watching. And I'm going to tell you right now, is it good to be distracted in life? I'm going to tell you, it's not. How many of you have ever taught before? There is a lot of distraction in the classroom, is it not? I can just tell you. Our goal is to get everyone focused as much as we can so that we can learn and teach. But distraction is just part of life, and we have to constantly be against it. Guys, the word distracted in the dictionary, it means to prevent from giving full attention to something. So it means to prevent something. Here's the other thing, the way it's uh, defined is it means to divert just to get you to go off, just and, and by the way, just divert off the path. You know, I, I forget what the numbers are, but if you're in Paris and you're at the Eiffel Tower and you want to go to the Statue of Liberty in New York in the harbor and you just get off, I think it's just a half a degree, the distance, I have, there's 360 degrees. If you get off just a half a degree, I think by the time you travel there, you've missed your target by 200 miles. So guys, how, how, how much should we be distracted? Zero. We've got to stay focused as a church. Guys, if we want to see Christ do a mighty work right here in One Hope Church, 
We've got to be a very focused, very mission, very purpose, very driven church, do we not? We've got to stay on the task 24-7, and we can't afford to be distracted. We've got an eternal task. Harry was up here speaking about life is but a vapor, and then it's gone. Guys, it's the dash. We hear that all the time. When you were born, when you died, it's everything in the middle. That's what's going to count. Had a real good influence, real good pastor in my life. So there's only two choices on the shelf, serving Christ or serving self. Heard that for a long time. Keep that with me all the time. That is Pastor Greg Huffman. Guys, we've got to stay focused. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a really interesting book. There's a, a lot of discussion about who the author of, of Hebrews is, Paul, Barnabas, or Apollos. Uh, we don't know, but the church audience, uh, we're kind of confident. We don't know. The, it wasn't written to the church of Philippi or Colossae or Thessalonica. It, the, the group, though, is we believe, as the title of the book, a group of Old Testament saints, Jewish, Hebrews. These are Messianic saints. These are, he, uh, these are Messianic Jews. These are Jews that have been converted over to Christ, the truth of Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection. And so they have a lot of knowledge of the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle, the priests, the sacrifices, the journey from out of Egypt in the wilderness. They, there's a lot of that information in the book of Hebrews, and there's a lot of reflect, reflection on that. This, there, it, it is written to a group of believers, to a church. They're being persecuted, by the way. Uh, right now. They're being heavily persecuted. And so there is a lot of layout all through this, this book of Hebrews. Um, chapters 1 through 10 give a focus all on Christ. And it compares Jesus to the angels in the Torah, the law. It compares Jesus to Moses in the promised land. Jesus to the priest and the high priest Melchizedek. Uh, it compares Jesus to the sacrifices and the covenant. And the whole goal of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love and his mercy and grace. That Jesus is superior to anything and anyone else. All the shadows of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is the ultimate superior one for our salvation. The only one hope for our salvation. So the rest of it's written as an encouragement for us to be faithful to this Jesus. Chapters 11, 12, and 13. And so with that being said, um, if we could here this morning, uh, let's look at chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know if I told you to turn to Hebrews 12, but verses 1 through 3, if you would, let's just look at those three verses here this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin which clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So guys, there's this race that's been set before us, and we're to run it, and we're to run it well, but we have to lay aside weights and sin in our lives in order to run it well. It says here that there's this great cloud of witnesses. You want to know who those great clouds of witnesses are? Those are the Old Testament saints that are mentioned there in chapter 11. We call chapter 11 the great hall of faith. Amazing men and women are mentioned all through, and it's all about, it is the faith chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter of the Bible. Right here, Hebrews chapter 11, that's the faith chapter of the Bible. 
And there's this great cloud of witnesses of Old Testament saints who are examples for us, who have gone before us to be amazing examples to us of how we should run this race. And so, what is this race? What's the race, guys? It's this thing called life, is it not? We have a life to live for Christ. That's our race. I like the way it was written in 2 Timothy at the end of a life. Paul says, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have been faithful. I've kept the faith. I've been faithful in this race. Another one here, 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about, do you not know that there is a race for all runners, and all runners run it, but only one receives the prize, and there it is. So run that you may obtain the prize. This thing called life, we're to run it, we're to run it with patience and endurance. That just literally means consistency and steadfastness. Guys, one of the major differences between mature believers and immature Christians, immature Christians can surprise us, can they not? Man, they can really be high on a, on a high and they can really be down. And they can do cycles. But you know what? With mature believers, they're consistent. They're steady. They're always, they're, 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 they're not perfect. But they have this endurance. They have this focus. They have this consistency to them. They have this thing that, you know, if you were a betting man, you'd say, 99, I, I, I'm guaranteeing that this person's going to be there. I guarantee this person's going to be walking with the Lord. So we're to run this race with endurance and with patience, this life. We have a purpose as the church. Now, Pastor David, he's going to preach, 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 preach. He's been preaching all about the purpose of our lives, the purpose of the church. But guys, we've got to be careful, do we not? The Bible here says, be alert to sin and be alert to weights. Because those are the very things that keep us from running the race, do they not? Let's keep going. So verse 2 Here's our example. It says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. All through chapter 11, great examples. You got Moses, Abraham. You got the prophets. You got, uh, you got all kinds of, Enoch is mentioned through there. You've got the great champions of our faith, but none is like Christ. He is the ultimate example for us to follow. He is the ultimate example that we should pattern our lives after. He is the one. We're his followers. We're his disciples. So looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and that word looking is not just kind of glancing over and looking. It's a stare. It's an intense stare is what it means. And not only that, it's with awe and admiration. It's like when you look at Pastor David and you're staring at him, you're going, whoa, it's Pastor David. Really? <laughs> but it's with this admiration, it's with this awe that you have towards that one. And so this is, how do we run this race? Our gaze, our eyes are fixed on Christ and be in awe of him and having a desire to be like Christ. That's all in the intent there. He is the founder, the author. That's what it literally means. He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the one who has lived the life of faith with perfection. Literally, he has fulfilled the law. 
And he's done it with joy because he knew what the ultimate goal was. Even when he was in the garden, last week we looked at Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, the evening of his betrayal, the day before he would be crucified. And he prayed the words, what? Father, if there's any way at all that we can save the world, if there's any other way to save the world, let this cup pass from me. But if not, thy will be done. Three times he prayed this, but he knew this was the only way that you and I could be redeemed, that you and I could be ransomed. He knew that this was the only way that your sin and my sin could be paid for. This is the only way that the penalty of our sin could be lifted. And so with joy, he knew we were the prize, that we could be adopted as children of God, that we could have an inheritance with Christ for all eternal life. So he endured the cross. Though he despised it, he endured it, and he bore our sins on the cross, a collision of all the sin of the world colliding inside of Christ with his holiness and his righteousness. Can you imagine? But that's what he did for us, the author and finisher of our faith. Verse 3 here. So consider Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's easy to grow weary in doing well, is it not? It's easy to become fatigued. Very easy. Let's jump, though. Let's jump right into our handout. So we've got a race that we need to be running. Hebrews is very clear about that. Guys, we've talked about the word distraction. And so this morning, guys, I, I, I share this statement all the time with our church body. We have an enemy that's against us, and his desire is to defeat us. And here's the statement. It's on your paper, and that is, is that our enemy, Satan, does not have to destroy us in order to defeat us he only has to distract us does that make sense for the enemy to defeat one hope church he doesn't have to destroy you he doesn't have to end your lives he doesn't have to to just absolutely annihilate you you guys can actually continue as a church body you could probably even grow some to triple the numbers and yet you will be defeated if you're a distracted church. Do you realize that? You could exist for the next five, ten years, and, and you could get your own building, and you could have all these things that church bodies are supposed to do. And yet, if you are distracted, you're just another country club is all you are. You're just another organization. You're just another name bearing the name of Christ. But you could be a defeated church. If you're distracted... So you've got to keep that focus. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm Satan, and I realize this church is in the Bible Belt, probably you're not going to be destroyed. Not under our government right now, which one day you will become enemies of the state. It's coming. But I'm going to tell you this. All he has to do is distract us. And you will not accomplish your mission. So what are some of the distractions here? Very clearly here in, the, in verse 1, it says here, lay aside every weight and sin. Well, 
Sin is what? I love what our, our small kids are learning what sin is. And we teach them that sin is anything that we think, say, or do. And that's number one there, by the way. It's sin, distraction of sin. It's anything that we think, say, or do that goes against God. You should write that down. Anything you think, say, or do that goes against God. Number one, that blank there is sin. Sin is the, literally the biblical word means to miss the mark. You hear that. God has a mark. He has a target. He has a goal. He, has a, he, he wants you to hit the mark. He wants you to accomplish the purpose of your life. He wants you to accomplish the purpose of this body of believers that has come together, One Hope Church. He wants you to hit the mark. And sin is anything that misses the mark. And remember, you just have to get off a half a degree and you've not only missed it by half a degree, you've missed it by 200 miles. Because the longer you travel and, you've, and you're off your mark, the longer you travel, the further what? The further you get from hitting your target, do you not? Remember that. Eiffel Tower to the Statue of Liberty, 200 miles. Guys, live long enough. You'll miss the mark if you're distracted. The most easiest thing that pulls us away that distracts us it's our sin is it not and yet God is very focused read Psalms 51 listen to what David says about his sin I acknowledge my sin continually my sin is continually before me and he begs God for this washing and this cleansing because he knows that sin will keep him from doing the will of God so the very first one here is is sin number two I put down there, number two is the heart sin. These are the sins that are inside the heart. Jesus says these people are honor me, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you hear that? The, the, the sins of the heart, heart sin, those are the hidden sins. Those are the sins that are beneath the layers. Those are the sins that they come out of us in a different form, in a different way. You ever meet someone and you know there's something wrong with them? You know there's something going on and, and they're not coming out and saying what it is, but there's some, some type of something that's inside their heart, but it's being expressed outwardly a different way. One of the great examples that I look at a lot is Numbers chapter 12. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. What's special about those three guys? What are they? Yeah, they're siblings. That's exactly right. They're brothers and sisters. So here's Moses, and he's the baby brother. And God's using him as the leader for the people of Israel. And here's Miriam, and she's a prophetess. And here's Aaron. He becomes the, the first high priest of the, of the nation of Israel. God's using them in an amazing way. Miriam was the one who danced and led the praise uh, with, after the Red Sea. God is using them in a great way. But you know what happens? Numbers chapter 12, it's an amazing thing. Jealousy, envy is in their hearts. And it says they rose up against Moses. This is a hidden sin. This is a hidden sin. The Bible teaches about jealousy. Boy, it, it starts out as jealousy. We don't recognize it all the time. And then it becomes bitterness. And then it becomes resentfulness. And then it becomes hatred if you look at the life of Joseph. And then there's persecution. Now it's being expressed. Now it's coming out. 
and there's some form of persecution. You know what they did? So Miriam's the instigator, and Aaron, he goes along with it. They rise up against Moses, and they don't come out and say, hey, we're jealous over you. They don't do that. That would be confessing their sin. You know what they do? They, they come at Moses with a club in their hand, basically, and they say, Moses, we've got a problem with you and your wife, with the woman you married. She's a Cushite woman. You know what they were talking about? You know what a Cushite woman is? A Cushite is from what country? What's that? The Cushites are from, starts with an E. It's already slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. Ethiopia. Thank you. Ethiopia. A Cushite woman is from Ethiopia. And so they come to Moses over the fact that his wife, the color of skin of his wife, her skin's too dark. And they come against Moses with this, that you married a dark-skinned woman. Can you believe that? Now, God calls all three of them to the, to the, 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 the tabernacle, the tent of meetings. This is interesting. He calls them up and he says, were you not afraid to come up against my prophet Moses? When I speak to you guys, you get visions, you get dreams. But when I speak to Moses, I speak to him face to face as a friend and he hears my words. He says, so you say the problem, and he, and he talked about their jealousy. He says, but you say the problem is skin color. Is that right? So you believe lighter is better. Is that what you believe, Miriam and Aaron? Okay. If that's what this is really about, if lighter is better, we'll go that way. You know what he did? He struck Miriam instantly with what? Leprosy, and she became white as snow. God said, we can do this. Of course, Aaron cried out to Moses and said, please cry out for our sister. God got right down to the heart of it, did he not? He really did. But he said, okay, well, we're not addressing what the real issue is, the real issue of the heart with this jealousy. But if, you, if we want to make it about skin color, Miriam will go that route. Lighter's better. You're white now as snow. God gave mercy and grace on her. He didn't have to. And he restored her after seven days. But guys, I want to tell you this. There's nothing more distracting, though, than the heart. And it's sin and hardness of heart, and the things that we hide from each other, but God what? He sees it. He's aware of it, and we need to be aware of it as well. So I'm going to tell you this. Number one, the distraction of sin. Guys, there's nothing that's going to keep you off course more than anything than sin. Whether it's openly sinning or the sin of the heart, sin will pull you guys away from running your race. Don't fall into it. What does a righteous person do when they sin? Say it out loud. What do they do? What's that? Yeah, they confess. They reconcile with God. They own their sin. They call it what it is, and they repent, and they turn from it. A righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. Guys, we're going to get things wrong, and when we do, get clean before God. Get rid of your sin because if not, it will distract this church from accomplishing its mission, running its race. So be very alert to your sin. Very alert. Let's go to the next one here. 
The next one here is the distraction of weights. <laughs> so guys, what is a weight? The Bible, God broke it up into two categories here. He says there's sin, which we know what sin is, but then there's this thing called weights. And you go, what does that mean? No body building? I mean, that's why I stay away from it. I don't know if y'all could tell. I don't know. Nah. What is weights? So if there's a category in a lane called sin, and then there's this whole category called weights, so weights is not something that we can call sin. Let me tell you what weights is, okay? Let me give you some examples. So I wrote down number three here is the word excess. So weights, one of the weights is this, is anything that was meant to do in moderation that you do in what? In excess. Let's give an example. I love my two-wheel podium. I love my motorcycle. God has given me a different motorcycle now. David, I can't wait to show it to you. It's an adventure bike. Um, I absolutely love my bike. I love going out with the group of men that we have, and we love sharing Jesus. But you know what? I use my bike also to detox and decompress, and I come home sometimes, and my wife goes, why did you come here with this? She says, would you just go somewhere else? She goes, go get on your motorcycle and be with Jesus. And so here's the thing. Is a motorcycle sin? No, it's not sin. But it's meant to be done in what? Thank you, in moderation. But if I ride my bike in what? Excess. Guys, that's a distraction. And I'm going to tell you right now, for me, it's motorcycles, it's ATVs, it's jet skis. i got to be careful, do I not? Those are wonderful gifts from God. They are excellent for me. They do help me detox. They do help me decompress. They do help me get alone. They can help me focus. But if I'm not careful, I can do these things in moder- that should be for moderation and excess. I don't know what it is for you guys. I'm not going to fill in those blanks. That's between you and God. But you need to be alert to that, do you not? That, and by the way, the, you know, Satan likes us to get everything backwards, sin, to get everything backwards. What about the things that God meant for us to do in excess, but we're only doing it in what? In moderation. you got to be careful. And I'm telling you right now, a church that is on their game, that is focused, will be alert to weights. You do your own inventory. You check for yourself. You ask God to search you. And say, God, what are the weights in my life? We can't call them sin, but what are they? They Actually, they are sin, though, if they're being done what? In excess. Because now it's keeping us from hitting our what? Our mark. So you fill it in. What are your weights? The next one here, (laughs) number four, is buckets. And you say, what are buckets? Buckets is what I just call are buckets of responsibility. And I have literally seen certain types of people, and they are overachievers, and they are people that, that want everything correct, and they want everything right. And what they do is God gives them their buckets of responsibility, and they pick their buckets up, and they're doing great. But then they look, and they see that this bucket isn't being picked up. So they go over here, and they grab this bucket. And then they look and say, oh, Jessica, you didn't get your bucket here. And so you grab this bucket, and they just start grabbing all these buckets of responsibilities that God did not assign to them and they just keep grabbing all these people's buckets and before you know it you know what they're weighed down then they get irritated and you don't even know you you don't even know that they have your bucket 
Or maybe they have three of your buckets and now they're upset with you because they're carrying your buckets. And they're storming around and they're doing, and you know what? It distracts them because they're so busy picking up everyone's what? Buckets of responsibility. You think, hey, anyone, do you believe this is real? Yes, it's real. I wish my wife was here. She would be laughing right now. And you say, well, that's, that's not real. It is real. Listen to this, Luke chapter 10. Now it happened as Jesus went, he entered a certain village that there was a certain woman, and her name was, Mar- was, was named Martha, and she welcomed Jesus into her house. And she was there with her sister, who was called Mary. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she was listening. She was soaking in the word of Christ. But Martha, what, verse 40, listen to this, at a chapter 10, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted because she was picking up everyone's what? Buckets. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to pick up all these buckets? Therefore, tell her to help. And Jesus answered and said to Martha, 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 you are so worried and troubled about so many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen it, and it's a good part, and it will not be taken from her. But what did he tell her? You are what? Distracted. Be careful if you're a bucket picker-upper. Anyone live with one of those type of people? I'm going to tell you right now. Be careful. Next one, number five, the lesser good versus God's greater best guys write it down the lesser good will keep you from doing God's greater best write that down the lesser good will keep you from doing God's greater best so you guys are sharp you guys know Christ you know his word and I'm going to tell you this right now there is good better best there is the best thing for one hope church and you need to be focused on doing what's best And listen to me, our enemy, Satan, is very crafty. He's the wiles of the devil. He will get you guys busy doing lesser good things. And you'll get become so busy doing the lesser good things that you'll miss doing the what? The greatest best. Now, are the lesser good things sin? No, they're not. But if you're not careful, you'll get so focused on doing lesser good things all the time that it'll keep you from doing what? The greater best. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're single, listen to me well. When you're dating someone, you need to ask the question, is this, this is a good person? I, I'm sure it's going to be a good person, but is this the lesser good or is this person God's greater best? You better keep that in your hearts and minds because Satan will bring you an excellent, a really good person, but not the greater best for you. And I mean that. That's something that I ask my kids when they bring someone to me and say, Dad, I want you to meet someone. And I meet them. And I just say, all I want you to do is pray and just be honest with God. Is this person the lesser good? I mean, they bring good, I mean, solid Christians, they're good, they're good, but are they God's greater best for you? I'm telling you right now, for this church, I know you're going to do good things, but you should be also, don't let those good things distract you from doing the greater, best, needed thing that you should be doing as a body of Christ. Be careful.
Let's keep going. Number six is a quick one. The urgent versus the what? The important. The urgent versus the important. Guys, when something's screaming right there in your face and it needs to get done, that's usually when we what? We, the urgent seems to get almost all my attention all the time. And I know what's important. I know what needs to be done. I know what we need to be focused on as a church body. I know what path we need to be going down. But all these urgent, 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 urgent. And how urgent is it? Well, it depends. If the person's right in front of you, it's what? It's a very urgent need. You've got to be careful. Satan's going to come with you with everything to keep you from doing what's most important as a body of Christ. Do you hear me? Be careful. Satan's going to try and keep you from doing what is the most important thing that you need to be doing. And he's going to do it by putting urgent things in front of you. How hard is it to tell someone no when they're in front of you right there on the spot? Isn't, is that difficult? Depends on the person, right? I'm going to tell you, you want to please people, you want to help people, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's always going to be the urgent. It will never, ever, ever, there will never not be urgent things. I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to learn to say no. I had a good pastor that taught me the word, you've got to learn to cheat something. This man right here taught me that. You've got to learn, just, and I like the word, to cheat. You're going to have to say no to some urgent needs so that you can stay focused as one hope church to do what is most important. Do not get distracted. Guys, these are weights, are they not? How can you call helping this area and this area and this area and meeting these needs and these needs, how can you call that sin? It's not. But if it keeps you from missing your mark, then it's what? It's sin. Be careful. Guys, these are distractions. These are weights. Now, here's another. The last two here, number seven, and I'm going to give them to you together, distraction of fatigue but number seven and eight, number seven is physical and number eight is spiritual. We can have physical fatigue and we can have spiritual fatigue. We certainly can. Elijah is a great example. He was up on Mount Carmel and he was facing opposition of 400 and some prophets. And there were more prophets than the 400. He was up there by himself on Mount Carmel. And this had been a standoff for quite a few years. Rain didn't come in that area except at the prayer of Elijah by God's leading. And so there was a lot happening between King Ahab and Jezebel, the prophets of God and Elijah. And so he's up there and there's a big showdown and it takes place. And God is declared as the one true God who made the heavens and the earth. He's the God we should worship. And when that is over, that's in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, when that is over, Chapter 19 hits, King Ahab's wife Jezebel says, you killed all my prophets? So she puts a death threat out on him. She puts a a bounty on him. She wants Elijah dead. And Elijah is so worn out, so fatigued, he takes off afraid for his life. He takes off running. He is exhausted. He is worn out. He is completely fatigued. He stands up to 400 and some. He stands up to the entire nation. He stands up to the evil king. He does all this spiritually. And then, because he's so absolutely worn out, he fears for his life. He runs. He finds a place. And he prays to God, God, would you just end my life? Would you just kill me? Is he thinking straight? (laughs) He's tired. Can I tell you this? When we get tired... How easy is it for us to lose focus? 
Guys, I see this all the time. I see it all the time. Can I ask you this? How important is rest? Hey, Genesis, God created in six days. What did he do on the seventh day? So what did God accomplish on the seventh day? What did he accomplish? Nothing. That's the definition of rest is to accomplish nothing. Do you really rest? David says, well, I didn't go in the office today. That guy doesn't know what rest is. Kim, you're on charge of his rest. David can't be in charge of his rest. He made me tired just watching him move. He just runs everywhere. But if you're not careful, God's definition of rest, he rested on the seventh day. He accomplished nothing. We don't rest well. Or we rest from the wrong thing. I say, hey, guys, we missed you last week. Where were you? We missed you in worship. Oh, my goodness, we are so worn out. We are so tired, and we just feel like we're in a dark place right now. We feel like we're under spiritual attack. We feel like that, that all these things are happening, and we just felt dry and empty inside, and we were just like a desert, and we just spiritually just felt under attack. So you rested from church? Don't rest from the very things that what? that fill you up, that edify you, that refresh you. Don't rest from the Word of God. Don't rest from prayer. Don't rest from the work that God's given. Rest from all the things that are emptying you and draining you. Rest from the sin. Rest from all the work that you do. You can tell your boss that you're taking a day of rest. You'll be surprised. Rest from everything that's pulling you away from God. Don't rest from God. What did Jeremiah said? He said, I did eat your word and it became the rejoicing of my heart. And I listen to people who are spiritually fatigued and empty and I'm like, are you feasting on God? Are you feasting on his word? Are you feasting in prayer? Are you, are you serving? Are you active? Are you worshiping your God? Are, you know, and they want to rest from everything that will refresh them. So be careful. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me all you laboring or heavy burden, laden. I will give you what? My goodness. Rest is found in Jesus, guys. Rest is found at one hope. Rest is found in doing what you were created to do. He said, take my yoke and put it upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls. Guys, this is supercharged day. This is a day you get to come together as a body of believers and get under the word of God together. When two or three are gathered together, I'm there in your presence in a special way. This is different than when you're alone with God. When there's more of you gathered together, God says, I'm there with you in a way that's not the same as it's just you and I. This is where you find rest. Don't rest from one hope church. Man, that, you talk about getting distracted. Boy, when I'm tired, I'm easily distracted. When I'm spiritually tired or physically tired. I hope this makes sense to y'all this morning. You've got a race, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this church is a dangerous church. Look at the oppositions and the obstacles you've had to overcome. You guys are a church plant in 2020 of January, and what came in March of 2020? COVID. You guys have moved five times. That's hard. 
If any church should be tired and distracted, it should be you guys. But I'm telling you right now, there's a big X on you for a reason. You're dangerous. You are dangerous to Satan's kingdom. And God's going to do a great, amazing work through you. Don't be distracted. Run your race. Stay focused. Be alert to sin and weights. Because it is the wiles, the techniques, the tactics of the enemy. Miss it by a half degree, you missed it by a mile. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You got an amazing God. Jesus is our example to run this race. Follow him. Let's pray together.